Warning, this podcast will challenge your thinking. Welcome to Business Problems Solved. In this podcast, we help you solve your business problems by providing real examples and practical approaches to make today better than yesterday. Introducing your host, the multi-sector, self-professed, most improved improvement person and qualified business problem solver. Lee Horton. Hey, it's Lee. I don't ever do this, but during the interview, there'll be um, a part of it where it does get a little bit emotional. And myself and Andy, we, we make reference to a YouTube video. The YouTube video is Andy Cope tells the story of Jimmy's diary. That's Andy Cope tells the story of Jimmy's diary. If you've never seen this before, I definitely encourage you to watch it. But this interview, this conversation that I have with Andy is uh, is one of my favourites. He's such a he's a funny guy. He's an honest guy, and I hope you get as much from this conversation as I do. Enjoy. Hey, it's Lee. Welcome to Business Problem Solved. Today, I have the opportunity to speak with an author, a teacher, a speaker, happiness expert, and keen learner. Hello there, Dr. Andy Corp. How are you? Hello, fella. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you very much. But seriously, how are you? More importantly. I am. I'm feeling pretty good, actually. Thank you. I am actually. I better nail this one because you said Doctor Andy Cope. I am currently the UK's one and only Doctor of Happiness, mate. So if I'm having a bad day, then the nation's having a bad day. Oh, right? well, that's. I'm, I'm self-aware. I am self-aware enough to know that sounds a bit shite. So um, <laughs> I was going to call myself Doctor Feelgood, but you can't in the modern world. So I'm stuck with Doctor Happy, mate. Yeah. So I'd love to speak to you and your listeners about positive psychology, the science of well-being. No, amazing. No, thank you very much. How did you get into it? And like, so I, I guess actually, let's let's just go like back a little bit further. Who are you, and how did you get to sit in that seat today? Who are you? Who are you? Yeah, yeah. Um, Andy, I'm a Derby lad, uh, age 53, and I trundled through life, being fairly mediocre and average, doing whatever else did. So I came out of higher education. So I did higher. I was in. I was a lecturer, mate, in a college and a university for a while. Yeah, delivering on MBA classes. Yeah, so lots of interlocking circles and big words and all that kind of stuff. Love yeah. it, pyramid. Yay, bring it on. <laughs> and then I discovered something called positive psychology. So mid nineties, positive psychology. So I'd always studied psychology, and psychology had always been the science of what's wrong with you. Yeah. So I learned about phobias, disorders, anxiety, depression, paranoia, all that stuff. And for about 130 years, psychology had been exclusively about what was wrong with you. What I realized is we know nothing about what's right with you. So for 130 years, traditional psychology has literally never, ever studied people who are already happy no. <laughs> on, the grounds of, on the grounds of them not being ill. So yeah. the thinking of traditional psychology is, why would we study happy people? Because they're not ill. So I decided to say, do you know what? If we come at it from the other end of the telescope, why aren't they ill? What are these happy people doing? that makes them flourish and thrive and, and bounce with energy and vigor, even on a Monday morning. We don't know who they are. We don't know what they're doing yeah. to make themselves so happy. And crucially, if we knew that, then we could take some of their medicine and then we wouldn't be ill either. I'm yeah. like, boo, yeah, it's beyond are. obvious, mate. It's beyond obvious. So 2005, I started doing a PhD at Loughborough Uni. It took me 12 years, to be fair, not very clever. Uh, but out of that, out of that comes 130,000 academic words in the thesis. Essentially, what I did for 12 years was seek out happy people, follow them around, and try to work out why they're so bloody happy. Wow. Um, that's what we do now. The art being brilliant, we write books and we do keynotes and training around. It's kind of the PhD, but without the big words. Yeah, no, brilliant, brilliant. So you've, you said the uh, art of being brilliant and also happy. How are them two things linked? Well, the art of being brilliant is the science of well-being, essentially. I mean, well-being is such a serious subject. It won't have escaped your knowledge, mate. And, you know, 
people are falling over with the modern world. There's something going wrong with the modern world, yeah, because yeah. we're, you know, the stats are going the wrong way, mental mental health wise. And I do work in schools now, and it breaks my heart, mate, to go into primary schools and the kids are already falling over with depression, anxiety, and stress at age nine. Oh wow! So there's something cracking off that the modern world, I think, is knocking the happiness out of and the well-being out of us. So we're in all seriousness. I mean, our books are supposed to be entertaining, and our courses will make you laugh, but also quite challenging. Really want to change people's thinking. If you look at the happy people, the really upbeat, well-being kind of people that I interviewed all those years, is that they live in exactly the same world as everybody else. So they've got exactly the same external circumstances. So Trump and Brexit and you know Boris and all that's happening to them as well, and they get stuck in traffic, and it rains on them as well. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But the, there's this small band of people, I call them the two percenters, the statistical anomalies, when you plot them on a well-being graph, they're at the top end of the spectrum. So that's basically it. And that then they're statistically significantly happier on a long-term basis, bags more energy, create strong relationships. I wanted to know who are they, what are they doing, because, mate, I wanted to be one. And now we share that with whoever will bloody well listen to us. Perfect, perfect. So I guess the, the question is, how do you become happier? How do you become a two-percenter? Yeah, well, um, it's pretty much a learned behaviour. I mean, I'm glad you've asked that. It's a learned behaviour. I always feel a bit fraudulent, actually, mate, because a lot of the things that I found out, we already knew. But all, I describe, in fact, when I write my books, I don't call it personal development. I call it personal remembering. Yeah. Because basically, everybody listening to this podcast already is a 2 percenter. We already are happy and upbeat and bubbly sometimes. Well, then what the world does, it beats the crap out of you, and you end up in what I call mood hoover zone. And the mood hoovers... It's not sad or depression. It's just a bit stuck in everything's a bit low-level grumbly. You know, we all know them, and we can all be that mood hoover. Now, I call them mood hoover because they're experts at sucking the happiness out of you, leaving you feeling a bit low as well. You know, it could be your boss. It could be a teenager. It could be a mother-in-law. And they have a, a fantastic... And it only really takes one mood hoover, particularly at work, to kill the whole meeting stone dead, rolling their eyes, tutting... It was better in the old days. Yeah. <laughs> it probably was better in the old days, but my thing is the old days are gone. Yeah, completely. If we're sitting in our offices moaning about how good it was 10 years ago, then we're not going to be able to cope with the new days. Because the new days, I mean, you're into leadership and personal development and management consultancy. The new days are fast and full on, and you need to be creative and thinking on your feet and making your customers go, wow. And you can't do that with thinking that's 10 years old. You know what I mean? Yeah, completely. Well, I'm preaching to the convert. In your case, I know you. I'm preaching to the converted. You get, you get it already. <laughs> what do people need to do? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, the number one thing. Are you ready? Drum roll. Have you got some sound effects? Uh, I, drum I, roll. I can do it. It's a really bad drum, but uh, yeah, it was a pretty bad drum. Really. Yeah. After twelve I'll, years I'll, of, I'll work, I'll work on that. <laughs> After twelve years of hard slog. The biggest single thing that the happy people, the people who are flourishing do, is that they consciously choose to be positive, right? And, I, and I've, like I say, I, I announce that to an audience and there's a certain rolling of eyes of people going, really? <laughs> After 12 years, 12 years of research, mate, is that it? Choose be, did we not know that? And I'm not sure that we did. So let me say it again. So consciously, deliberately choosing to be positive. So I've not said choose to be happy. Yeah. You can't choose to be happy. Happiness is an emotion. You can open up to happiness and let more in. But positivity is not an emotion, it's a, it's an attitude. Yeah. So actually consciously choosing to be positive is something that you can get better at. And that's kind of the number one thing, really. I mean, there's lots of other things as well. All the workplace stuff that I'm sure you deliver about playing to strengths and, you know, well, knowing what your strengths are and being able to play to them. Uh, the other one is taking personal responsibility, which is essentially about 
instead of pointing the finger at everything else and the traffic and the weather, it's pointing the finger back at yourself and say, okay, how can I upgrade me in the modern world? To yeah. take, so it doesn't mean the traffic's going to go away and it doesn't mean that politic, Brexit's going to disappear, but what it does, it puts you in a better place to deal with the traffic and Brexit. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an internal shift, mate, in your head. Yeah. That's essentially what, what well-being really is. Yeah, completely, completely. So when I, when I spoke about it in the past, I, I, I'll use uh, 90-10. So 90% is about attitude, 10% is about facts. So if it's raining outside, that's a fact. But then if you want to go and jump in muddy puddles, that's your attitude. So if you, you want to jump in muddy puddles, choose 90% attitude as opposed to the, the actual fact that, it, that it's raining. So it's it, like you're dead right, it is your attitude. So how can somebody choose to be more positive? Because is it as easy as that? I describe it as simple but not easy. So academically, it is this that is the simplest point in anybody's PhD ever in the history of research, right? Yeah. What consciously, deliberately choosing to be positive. But it's not easy to do. I mean, it took me about a year and a half to embed that. It, <laughs> I'll give you a question, mate. That um I heard it off a guy called Richard Wilkins. It's a, it'll tie your brain up in knots, but it's a cracker. What hasn't happened that you didn't want that you haven't celebrated? Right, so just let let that rattle around. Whoever's listening to this, you'll be confused driving in your car. You'll be confused. What hasn't happened? You didn't want you haven't celebrated. So, if I give you an example, what hasn't happened? You didn't want you haven't celebrated. So, this morning I woke up and I opened my curtains, and there wasn't a zombie apocalypse outside. Right? Yeah. Now, as it happens, I didn't want there to be a zombie apocalypse, and there wasn't one. Yeah. But I didn't punch the air and announce to my wife, <laughs> "Hey, guess what? There's no zombies out there today." Woo! Yeah. She would have thought that was really weird because it's really difficult for your brain to celebrate something that hasn't happened. Yeah. And then, and then when I drove to work today, I, I didn't run over any badgers, so no badgers murdered by me today. And when I set out, I didn't want to run over it. When I got to work, I hadn't run over any, but I didn't announce it, you know, on reception when I got in. And go, I'm signing in. And by the way, I've not killed any badgers. Because yeah. she would have thought that was weird and it's hard for your brain to celebrate something that hasn't happened. However, the reason I say that is in terms of you rewiring the circuitry of your brain, which is essentially what happiness really is, is it can only ever come from one place. You're thinking, right? Yeah. So your brain is organized exactly the opposite of that. So your brain is a is a problem spotting machine. It's got a negativity bias. So so it's looking for the one one bad driver ruins your entire commute. Your brain deletes the 400 nice ones. And one angry customer ruins your entire day. Your brain just negates the 50 ones that think you're great. So what you've got to do to be more positive is you've got to actually rewire your brain. Neuroplasticity, I'm sure everybody has heard of that now. It means your brain is a malleable thing. You can change the way you think. And when you change the way you think, it recircuits your brain. So actually, what hasn't happened you didn't want you haven't celebrated is pretty cool. Yeah? yeah. So my laptop hasn't just blown up. I haven't got a flat tire on my car. Celebrate the bad stuff that isn't happening. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. I, re- I really like that. And I'm going to have to listen to this a number of times to get that sentence cemented oh, yeah. in my head, I think. Mate, mate, kids, kids do it brilliantly, right? Because we do work in schools. Uh, let me just tell you, I did some work in uh, in Jersey, some primary school kids, and I said to them, what hasn't happened? You didn't want you haven't celebrated. This little lad in the front row is about six and a half. He says... Uh, I haven't been murdered in cold blood by a ventriloquist <laughs> woman wearing a clown costume. <laughs> Boom. It's out in the Brilliant. Ballpark. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And talking about kids, you, you were a children's author as well. How would you join those two worlds together? So the children's author thing came about by accident, but only since I've started to put into practice all the stuff I found out from my PhD. So I had an idea. I write a series called Spy Dog and Spy Cat now, actually. It's morphed. Yeah. Um, Very good. About 20 bucks in that series. 
and Touchwood is it's doing pretty well, but it, it came out of me looking at my pet dog one day and imagining what she's a James <laughs> Bond character. So she's, she's the most rubbish dog in the world, right? She's got one still, silly sticky up here, complete waste of oxygen. And I was watching a James Bond movie one night and there she was lying there being rubbish. So I thought, what if she's just pretending to be rubbish? Uh, and that, that sticky up here means she's always on a listening for danger. So while I'm out at work and the kids are out at school, what if... What if my dog's out in the neighbourhood catching baddies and solving crimes? What if she actually works for MI5? Yeah. I'm just keeping it secret. So yeah. out of that, and I, mate, I'm I'm not a writer really. I'd never, I'd failed English at school. It's 15 years ago, this idea rattling around in my head. But because at the same time I was studying positive psychology, I thought, do you know what? What the heck? The old version of me would have said, you can't write. Yeah. Who's going to listen to you? That's a rubbish idea. But the new version of me thinks, do you know what? I'm going to give that a go. Brilliant. So I did. I did. 20 books later, it's still going. Fantastic, fantastic. And has the dog, well, how do you know that the dog isn't that agent? Oh, mate, you see, I like I like talking to people who've got a mental age of seven and a half, mate. <laughs> like you, like yeah. you clearly have. Yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> no, brilliant. Oh, dear me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Oh, in fact, in fact, then, um, quite a question for you. What came first, the colour orange or the fruit? Oh, my gosh. The colour orange or the fruit? Do you know the answer? No, I've got no idea. All right. I'm just glad that the person who invented oranges didn't... I mean, a banana would be called a yellow, wouldn't it? It, it would, all, it technically, would, yeah. yeah. Or, or green yeah. at the start of its life. Or a green, indeed. <laughs> yeah, look at the green. We've got yeah. a green and a yellow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, mate. Yeah, good. What? Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you always been creative? Uh, no, good Lord, no, no. Um, only the thing is, uh, I sound a bit evangelical about this, when you feel amazing, which you can learn to feel amazing, when you feel amazing, you are more creative, right? So yeah. a bit weird, but the old version of me would never have been able to write a book. I would never have been able to run a business. I would never, I would, there's lots of things that I do now that I couldn't have done before because I didn't think I could. Yeah, and without without I, I don't you know I don't want to encourage anybody to go around puffing the chest out, pissing people off with their happiness. But once you've got your own mental health sorted or mental wealth, as I call it, then you just feel that you're going to go for opportunities that you wouldn't normally go for. Yeah, so you create opportunities. It's one of the things about two percenters, and everybody who listens to this, you can only think of a handful of them in your life, right? There would be a handful of people in your life who, when they're in the room, you feel good as well. They're your two percenters. Yeah, bags of energy, loads of enthusiasm. And um, when you're in that mode, your brain just sees possibilities. You just become creative, which is why it's good for business. I mean, you're, a lot of people listening to this podcast will be business people, won't they? Yeah, completely. So yeah. It's, it's, I think it's the number one USP for your business is well-being. Right. Okay. If your people are buzzing, if your people are buzzing, then the energy's up, and the, and the people coming into work on a Monday morning with a spring in their step—that is actually your competitive advantage. Well, the rest of the opposition are feeling miserable about Monday. You're like, like bring it on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, get that a mile, mate. Because if it's all about thinking and people's thoughts and that, or a positive attitude, how do you make people happier on mass? Right, right. Well, you can't. You can't make anybody happier. You can. Um, I feel more positive. You can create an environment where well-being gets a grip. But you can't force anybody, obviously, to be happier or more positive. I think, you know, once again, I know that your background in terms of leadership development and cultural change and all that, we talk often, we, and I used to talk about it as well, about culture change is a top-down process. It's got to start with the leaders, or maybe it's a bottom-up. It starts with the lower ones. But actually, 
I think it's what I call inside out. Culture change starts with you first and foremost, individually. And once you've got yourself sorted, once you are feeling brilliant, yeah. then the, the, it creates a ripple effect. I don't know if you know the um, Nick Christakis statistics. He talks about when you're feeling amazing, it creates a ripple effect and your your happiness reaches three degrees of people removed from you. So Lee, if, so let's take you on a good day. Yeah. If you're buzzing, if you're buzzing, then all of your delegates come on your course and they go away feeling much happier because they've interacted with you. But it doesn't stop there because those delegates then go home to their families. And um, because those delegates are buzzing, their families are now happier as well. Got you. All right. And you've not, you've not met their families, but their families are, are benefiting from your well-being. So how cool is that? Yeah. You know, if you're in a people job, which you are, and a lot of people listen to this, then your happiness leaks out of the room. It leaks out of the organization. It, it actually reaches people in the community. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that, uh, your responsibility, therefore, to, to be your best self it becomes a no-brainer. To be fair, yeah, completely, really, really powerful, really powerful. So this this positivity, there's a whole scale of people doing it, isn't there? There's the happy, clappy ones that say just think positively, and you can you can scale the highest mountain or, or whatever it is. And then when I, when I've listened to your books, they're quite quite realistic and also quite fun as well. How why did you decide to pitch it there and not on the other end of the scale, the more positive? Oh, and- Right, the happy clappy. Don't give me happy clappy, mate. The reason it took me twelve years to get a PhD was I got the wrong data. I spent three years getting the wrong data. So basically, I don't want to bore your listeners, but I think it's it's quite a nuanced academic point. Uh, for the first couple of years, I went. So you have got to get information and data in a PhD and anal- analyzing and move the body of knowledge forward. That's what a PhD is. Yeah. So I would go through. I worked with tw- ten organisations. I went in, surveyed their staff for happiness on a scale of one to ten. How happy are you? If you scored eight or above. I'd go and interview you and find out why you're buzzing. But, mate, what I found is a lot of the people who scored eight or above were just idiots or fake or yeah. annoying. Yeah. Like just like Tigger. You know, off Winnie the Pooh, Tigger yeah. hasn't got any mates. He just bounces around pissing people off with his happiness. Uh-huh. And that wasn't really what I was looking for. Yeah. So I had, to, I had to bin it and start again because I'm from Derby. I'm very grounded. I don't want anybody to, you know, if you leap in, if you come into the office on a Monday morning, all jazz hands going, woohoo, don't those weekends drag? Yeah. Then quite frankly, mate, you're going to, you're going to get bullied for that. That's too happy, isn't it? Yeah. So I've been, I've been that data and I started again. So same question. How happy are you on a scale? In fact, you're listening. If you've got to tick three boxes to be a two percenter, if you can honestly say that on a scale of one to 10 on happiness, you are eight or above, then I'm interested. But then I would also give you something called the Oxford Happiness Questionnaire, which is a tried and tested academic thing with 20 on, 21 questions. You also had to score in the upper quartile of that. But the killer question on my PhD research was this. Who else in your workplace makes you feel brilliant? And if your name appears three times or more on that, yeah. then I'm deadly interested because you're rating yourself as happy. Yeah. You're scoring high on the Oxford Happiness Questionnaire, but other people are also feeling happy when you're around. And that third question got rid of all the fake people. Yeah, got all the right? tickers. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, all the tickers, because the tickers rated themselves as happy, yeah. but nobody else was feeling happy when they were around. So therefore, and this is, once again, it's quite a, t- a nuanced academic point. I don't really study happiness. I've studied what I call flourishing. And flourishing is when your happiness is bigger than you and it creates positive spirals of emotion in the people around you. So this is why they're good for business. So a two percenter is uplifting for the whole office. Um, so we need more of them, mate. Yeah, your, your business needs it. I need my business needs it. 
we all need more of them. Completely, completely. I'm conscious of the time and you're a busy, popular chap, but there's, there's a couple of things that re- really resonated with me in your books. Um, yep. As I sit here in a hotel room working five days a week away from home and, and my little boy um, getting upset every Sunday night, when I heard Jimmy's diary, that really, really resonated with me. Would you just elaborate on, on that for me a little bit? Um, I can't. I can't tell Jimmy's diary, mate, without... Um... Oh, sorry. Shit. Give me a minute. Yeah, no, apologies. Apologies. No, it's ridiculous. I don't think it is, and I think this is the reason why it really resonated with me and, and is, is the reason why I'm, I'm trying to reverse what I'm doing. Yeah. I'll send a link to Jimmy's diary, mate. I did it on camera once. Yeah. Um, I tried to tell Jimmy's diary at a conference once and I couldn't for obvious reasons. Yeah. But essentially, the whole thing is that all the books, everything is about life. Yeah. We make a big thing in all of my books, actually. We make a big thing about the average lifespan being 4,000 weeks. So I'm 53, right? So I've used I've used a few. Um, but if you announce you're going to live for 4,000 weeks to a bunch of school kids, they're like, yeah, that's like forever. That's brilliant news. If you announce it to your delegates tomorrow, mate, your adult delegates on a leadership course, there'll be a gulp and yeah. a kind of collective tumbleweed moment as they calculate how many they've got left. Uh, and Jimmy's diary is just um, a reflection on the fact that those weeks zip by in a blur. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. No, completely, completely. No, thank you. And apolog- apologies for that. So the other no, 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 mate. I wrote that. I wrote that eight years ago. Yeah. Still okay. me? Yeah. Um, other thing that uh, res- the four minute rule. What is it? Oh, good. Yeah, that'll rescue me, mate. That's much more fun. Yeah, yeah. four minute rule. Um, you haven't got to be brilliant all day. So happiness and well being, and once again, I'll go out of my way to suggest this isn't about cavorting around the office like a dick. All right, this is about being your best self, the best version of you you possibly can be. Um, and if you do that, then other people will catch that emotion. But if you boil it all down, you've only got to do it for four minutes. It's a Steve McDermott thing, actually. He came up with it, and I just love it. So that means you haven't got to be happy all day or brilliant all day. You've only got to be brilliant for four minutes. If you can be your best self for four minutes, then other people will have almost no choice but to catch how you feel. So that means, mate, the first four minutes of a meeting at work, if you can be upbeat, positive, with a smile on your face, then other people will catch that. But in your case, and in my case, if you've got kids, the first four minutes of going home of an evening, yeah. yeah, and you were Friday night after you've been away all week. It's not going home moaning about the traffic and the motorway. It's going home and being the best dad in the world for four minutes. Yeah. And if you do that and you're all over your kids for four minutes, then the atmosphere for the rest of the night will take care of itself. So I think, you know, and I did a, I can remember doing a session in a, the public sector thing, right? So there's about 40 senior people in the room and it was austerity time and they were all down, a bit mood hoovery. And at the end of the day, I said to them, all right, are you going to go away and do this? You're going to be your best selves. And, and one of them said, what, what, forever? And I said, well, pretty much that was no. the aim. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, one of them said, I'm only, I'm only 42. I can't be happy forever. It's too long. Uh, so I said, what about a year then? If I, if I came back next year, could you commit to being a 2% of your best self for a year? And then one of them said, well, we're being restructured, so we can't be happy this year. Uh-huh. So I said, okay, well, what about a week? Could you, break it? Could you be your best self for a week? Well, you know, my, if my boss catches me laughing, she thinks I'm not working. So I basically battered these miserable people down. I said, could you leave here and be happy for four minutes? Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably you could try that. I said, right, we'll do that. And then do it for another four minutes and another four minutes. And like, if you just break down your life into a series of four-minute bursts and just, just keep at it. And honestly, I promise you, eventually, 
it rewires your brain and you become a two percenter. You don't have to try to be one anymore. It just becomes who you are. That's probably the most crucial thing. Yeah. Perfect. I don't want anybody faking it and pretending. Um, and also the, the books and the workshops, you know, we do make, we want to make you laugh, but actually it's not funny as my lump in my throat just proved. Yeah, no, it's really, it is really, really serious. And what does somebody who is as, as brilliant and as happy as yourself have for the tea? <laughs> Normal food, mate. Right, what are you having for your tea tonight? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, mate. I don't know. I'm just, do you know what? I'm just, I don't know if this is interesting or not. I've just had three months off in India. I've just been to India for three months. Like just me and a backpack. Oh, I thought, I thought for a minute then, I thought for a minute then you, you meant uh, three months off tea. I thought that was oh, a, no, no, no. Three, <laughs> months, three months off. Three months just after 30 years of hard graft, I thought I'd go backpack him. Yeah. So I, um, and I went veggie. I went to Northern India and there's no meat to be had. So I actually turned veggie. Oh, wow. And I, I've tried to stay that way. I feel amazing. Do you? So I've been back a couple of months, and so I don't know what I'm having for my tea, mate, but it'll involve yeah. veggie. Oh, fantastic. I was talking to somebody um, j- j- the other week, and they said they watched that program on Netflix called Game Changers, and it's about going vegan, and they said that, that and I asked them the same question, what are you having for your tea? And they went, oh, it's my first day of being vegan. I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what I can have yet. So, uh, right. yeah, it's bizarre. I'm not going that far, but I'm certainly eating healthier since I came back from no, India. Yeah. No, very good. So if people wanted to find out more about you, Download some of your material, attend some of your courses. Where could they do it? How could they do it? Where, where can they find more about Dr. Andy Cope? Dr. Andy Cope, well, you can Google Dr. Andy Cope, I'm sure, or artofbrilliance.co.uk is our thing. Or if you just put Jimmy's diary into Google, I bet that video will come up and he's telling the story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, books are all on um, on Amazon as well. So if you do, go put Andy Cope into Amazon, the books will pop up there. Well, what's next for you? Uh, next is I'm trying to work less hard. I think I've got four more books in me, mate. So and my final book is going to be called You Are God and I Can Prove It. And I'm not even religious. So there you go. Uh, it's about quantum physics, mate. And, oh, wow. Um, mysticism and all the stuff that I learned while I was in India. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So you've got four more to go and that's the last one? That, that'll be the last one because that'll be the end of my career. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> all right. Okay. Interesting. I look, I look forward to do I look forward to that one? I don't. I don't know what the right answer is to that. <laughs> it's a big book, mate. It's got big themes about life, the universe, and um, how nothing's real. I mean, it's just bonkers, really. But I know some stuff. The thing is, with you, you're the same as me. I know some stuff that is um, on the edges of believability. After 15 years of learning about happiness, well-being, quantum quantum mechanics now, and quantum physics, yeah. and consciousness, that is the direction I'm going, and I just love it. But the problem is audiences aren't ready for it. So I've got to find a way of palatably telling people there's no such thing as reality without them thinking I'm bonkers. Wow. I think that this is a, a the, the right kind of cliffhanger to kind of leave this conversation on, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it's been a pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's great to meet with a like-minded soul with somebody with a mental age of eight. Yeah. Oh, I've, I've aged half a year in uh, in half an oh, hour. So, so, so yeah, thank you very right. much. Yeah, no, but seriously. Yeah, actually, actually, on that note, on that note, mate, I think, we're back to personal remembering again. A lot of the secrets of happiness, aren't they? are not new. It's about getting back to how amazing you used to feel when you were eight. Perfect. Perfect. I think, I think that is a perfect way to end this. So thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Good luck with everything and much appreciated, Andy. What's up, dog? Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Business Problems Solved. You can contact Lee on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lee Horton, The Business Problem Solver. 
or via visiting www.leehorton.com for more content and to solve your business problems. And remember, saying you know how to do it is not doing it.